Well, it's good to be here again, uh, being able to share God's word and um, to a lovely, a lovely group of Cornwallites or Longsuians or <laughs> Martintownians, wherever you're from. It's so great that you are you are here together with us, um, being able to worship together and just be together as God's family. Um, this is uh, a special Sunday for uh, Pastor Ingrid and I. This is week 53. That's right. Week 53, last uh, on Mon- uh, t- Tuesday, November 15th, whichever day of the week that was. Uh, that was. That was one year since Pastor uh, Barry and Joyce and Pastors Lori and Jason were here to, like, install us as the campus pastors here. So this is week one of year two. And we're just getting started, aren't we? That's right. So uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much for being so patient with uh, Ingrid and I and my, our family as we got uh, settled in the area because it, it took us a while to, to move here and get settled. But we just thank you for your open hearts towards us. And um, realistically, we've gone through a lot in the last, wow, Wow. You know, like really, since, since Pastor Shirley, since you transitioned the church to Life Center and then everything that's gone on since then, we've been down a road, haven't we? And uh, I'm, just, I'm just in awe of you guys being here uh, with us through it all. And so I honor you for sticking it out and carrying it through with us and just, you know, embracing all that God has, you know, and, and the, in the midst of it... Uh, just, we're all just on our journey, trying to find our way and trying to, you know, wrestle through the areas of our lives where God has yet to perfect us, you know, and realize the areas that we think God's perfected us, we still have lots of room to grow there too, right? And I just, I just appreciate all of your hearts being so open and willing to do that with us. And so we love you guys and we're, we're excited for what's ahead. Um, and on that note, just to let you know, next Sunday, we'll have the honor of having Pastor Barry and Joyce with us here in the house. Yeah. Pastor Barry is going to be speaking, and Pastor Joyce will be your host on the morning. And we, we intentionally moved that because they were actually supposed to be here this week. But we intentionally moved it because next week, uh, on fr- or this Friday, uh, I'm going to be going in for a second surgery to do the rest of the uh, lymph node dissection that they needed to do in order to um, make sure that all the, the cancer is out. And so I'll be, I'll be doing that next Friday this coming Friday and like whatever that is, five days from now. And so just to make sure that in my recovery time and everything like that, that we make sure that church does not stop. And so I'll cover your prayers in this next week as we prepare for that and and, uh, allow God to use the surgeon's hand to make sure that uh, nothing is there that will, uh, you know, be be, uh, cancerous or move around or anything like that. And for all of you guys who are a little squeamish and don't like it, all the, you don't like that little like scar that I have on my arm, they're going to try and clean that up. So anytime I wear short sleeves and you're like looking away, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be like, man, cover that thing up. Seriously, why do you, you probably notice I wear short sleeves or when I wear long sleeves, I always have them rolled up. I promise you it's not to try and gross you out or anything like that. It's just a comfort thing. I just, having the sleeves down at the end of my hands, it just, I, I don't like it. So... 
All right, enough about all this stuff. Happy anniversary, Ingrid, here at Life Center. It's been, uh, it's been awesome. Okay. Now, last week, last week, we, we took a little deeper dive in moving from following to starting to serve and how uh, that's really what's needed when we look at following Jesus and we look at what that looks like. It really means that we look more like him, like we talked about all last year in our series, looking more like Jesus. We start to serve, right? And serving and following is understanding that often what we depend on deepens in our lives. And the funny thing was, last week, I talked about how this, this podium isn't really sturdy at all, right? It's not sturdy at all. And, uh, and dur- during our practice on Thursday for, for worship, Tom comes up, and he's like, is this thing really sturdy? Tom wasn't even here last week, but he had watched online, hi to all the people online. And he was like, how, how, how like wobbly is that thing? And he's like, ooh, it really is wobbly. What we put our faith in and our hope in and we start to depend on and lean on, it deepens. It really deepens, and we have to be careful that what we put our hope on and what we depend on is actually solid, is something we can really develop that trust in and in Jesus. And so this week, we have a, a new question that we're asking as we dive into this, this theme is, how do you move from serving others to loving those that you serve? How do you go from serving others to loving those you serve, especially the ones that are difficult to love? Now, love is one of those fickle words, isn't it? It's one of those words that we use almost, we use it so much that we, we tend to have trouble with its meaning. I love pizza, right? I love it. Some of you guys love fishing and hunting. Some of you love horses. Some of you love your spouse. Hopefully all of you who are married love your spouse. <laughs> you love your kids. You say that over and over and over again, right? I love my kids. I love my kids. You love your kids, and you love God. So what does it mean to love those that serve? We have this love, and it, it, it spans everything from pizza and, and hobbies to, to people and relationships. And what do we, what do we, how do we use that word appropriately when it comes to loving those we serve? When it comes to loving those that are sometimes hard to love, and we're called to love them and serve them, what does that look like? And today we want to focus on two things. We want to focus on, one, what Jesus asks of every follower and what potentially could be our biggest mistake or our biggest ongoing battle when it comes to loving others like Jesus. So let's pray and dive in. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you love us so much. God, we thank you for the heart of God that you have for us that we sang about. How you love us so much. And those that are prodigals or those that were lost or those that were broken, you love them. And that them is us. So God, we're so thankful for your love. And yet we want to we see how that can be reflected in our lives. And so today as we dive into that, I pray that you just open our hearts to receive what you have for us from your word. God, that as, as we talk about it, God, if there's, there's some nugget or something that stands out to us about how we can grow in our love uh, for you and for others, that God, you would just help us uh, not only hear that word, but receive it and plant it into our lives so that it could uh, produce good fruit in us. 
And so we thank you for this time together. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So loving, loving others. This big ask that Jesus has for us, when we see him ask it, it comes uh, at this, in this direct application for us as he sets the standard. As he says this to his disciples and to us and, and asks us to love others, um, this is the scenario that's playing out. Jesus has just served the disciples in an extraordinary way. He had gotten down on his hands and knees, taken off his outer garments, and he had washed their feet. The person they called rabbi and master and teacher, the one that they had confessed to be the son of God, got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. And Jesus knows that the love that he has for them is not merely this finding love that we've been talking about, how we were lost and now we're found. It's not just a finding love. He hadn't just gathered the disciples close to him and, and, and said, I accept you. I, I've got you in here now, and you, you are loved by me. It was more than just that. It was also a redeeming love. It was a, a love that took all their brokenness and pain and shortcomings and covered it. In the crux of this defining moment, Jesus gave his followers a new command. In John 13, 34, and 35, uh, in, in his, his telling of the story of, of Jesus' time on earth, Jesus says this to his, his early followers. There. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's our commandment. Love like he has loved us. And like we talked about before, that's the difference that people will see when they see our love for each other, when they see our unity, when they see that all the fractures that could come our way don't fracture us, but instead drive us towards love and unity. That is going to show that we are his disciples. The challenge is this can sometimes lead us to our biggest mistake and our ongoing battle to be obedient to what Jesus is commanding of us his followers. And this is it. Our biggest mistake is this. We root our love for others in our capacity to love others. We root our love for others in our capacity to love others. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but definitely for me, my capacity to love others is not fixed. It's not fixed. It floats. Sometimes it's higher than at other times. Some seasons I'm able to have way more grace than in other seasons. Some of you who have been parents or are parents, you would know this. The patience that you can have with your child or children in one moment is not the same in the next moment, is it? 
In one moment, you can have lots of grace and patience for an unclean room or, you know, a a lack of immediate response to like, uh, can you go and do this chore or can you go and do that? And there's a, a lack of them moving, you know, or even acknowledging that you spoke. You can have lots of patience for it in one moment. You can be like, okay, I'll just, you know, a phrase that we often use in our home between Ingrid and I is connect before you direct. You know, like, make sure they're actually paying attention to you before you direct them. If they're like this, and you're directing them, probably they're not even hearing you. And you, so you, you haven't connected first before you directed. And so you can have lots of patience one minute, and the next minute, they can be sitting there doing that, and you gave them a command, or a, not command, a, you, gave, you asked them to do something, and they're not doing it, and you're like, do I need to take away your phone? Do I need, you're like, you just go nuclear on them as far as like, this has got to stop, and I'm, you know, I'm fed up with this. Your patience and your lovability in that moment is, varies, doesn't it? It can happen. Maybe to me, maybe to you, but our capacity to love isn't always fixed, where it's like every time, all the time, I'm always able to consistently love you and treat you the same way. Sometimes it's easy to give the shirt off our back, isn't it? Sometimes, oh, I can help out. I don't mind coming in on a Saturday and doing that or doing this or, or helping you out. I got no problem with that. Another moment, somebody asks the same type of, of uh, question or request, and it's like, oh, oh, is there something I'm already doing? Please let there be something I'm already doing. <laughs> what was that honeydew list that she had for me? Was there something that I can call up on that list? And our generosity, the, you know, the honeydew list, right? It's a list that we don't really want to do, but we keep getting asked to do. And we'll even revert to going to that list of like, oh, I'm sorry, I got to do this, you know, instead. Our generosity level, just like phew, the tank just seems empty, right? Our love, our capacity to love is not fixed. It floats. And when we base the command, love others of as I have loved you, when we base that command on our capacity to love, we're going to have a hard time. And yet we, we consistently seem to try and do this. We consistently try and say, I got to have it within me in order to be able to do that. And when we don't, we fail. We're not a good Christian. We, we don't measure up. And we have challenges with that. While my emotions and tolerances vary, everyone, everyone can seem to be just an offense or a hurt away from us rejecting them, right? We want to love them, but it could be just one little thing that offends us or hurts us that ends us, you know, pushing them away. And here's what I want you to know. The feelings and the tension of having to love people in, in the midst of their varying responses to us and all the emotions that go along with that, we're not alone in this. It's not like nobody's ever faced this before. And specifically, when we look at Jesus, see, the timing or the occasion in which Jesus is giving this command, it's not a coincidence, It would be one thing for Jesus to have given this commandment uh, when the moment, the momentum of his his following and of his ministry was at its peak. 
we, we could see this being an easy command to give after, you know, the, the, um, the, the Sermon on the Mount when thousands of people are listening and everything like that. And he's like, he's high-fiving them afterwards. And he's like, man, this was awesome, guys. This is amazing. We're going for it. You know, man, I love you guys. And remember, love each other like I love you. And it'd be great. And everybody's like, you know, all pumped up and, you know, got lots of energy because everything's going well. It'd be one thing if it was after feeding 5,000 or 4,000 people and their minds are blown as they're carrying leftover baskets of food. And, they're, and he's saying, man, just as I have loved you and given you food, you know, love others. And they'd be like, yes, let's do this. It'd be easy if it was right after walking on water and they're just like, what do we do with that? He just walked on water. He just, he just, he climbed a storm, and then we were like, the storm was raging, and he calmed it, and he's like, love me, and I'll, just like I love you, and he'd be like, okay, for sure, I got it. You know, it'd be easy to do it in those moments, those kumbaya moments, those campfire moments, he's sitting out under the stars, and everything's going well in ministry. It'd be easy to do that, but that's not the moment that Jesus is in. Jesus is giving the disciples this new commandment when the pressure is building against him, when people are closing in on him, when his disciples realize that the closer and closer, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the, 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 the temperature of, of what's going on is hot, that the, the, the rulers of, of uh, the, the synagogues and the Pharisees and the, the priests, the high priests, they're out to get him. And they know this. They know that it's not a good moment to be going into Jerusalem, and here he is saying these things to them. He's giving his disciples this command in this hard time, just before humanity is going to betray him, fall asleep on him, commit violence for him, scatter and deny him. And I want you to hear this. That was just his followers. Jesus says, love me as I love you, knowing that they were going to betray him. They're going to fall asleep when he says, will you pray for me for an hour? They're going to fall asleep on him. That when it it comes time to deal with conflict, they were actually going to commit violence, cut off somebody's ear trying to protect him. They were going to betray him, Judas. They were going to deny him and scatter his followers The 12. That's the moment Jesus said, love me as I love you. As he looked forward and saw what they were about to do, he was like, I love you. I'm washing your feet. I care for you. And I want you to love others this way. You see, Jesus is love. And the way of love is to lay down his life for us. Now, we can be broken and heartbroken when we read stories of of individuals who are unjustly convicted of a crime. When, When something happens and they get put away because prejudice has punished them, it can break our hearts and we can want justice for them and we, would, we want change in our system because of things like that that can happen. And we can also be reminded in these moments that Jesus is fully, wholly, completely innocent. 
and yet love will lay down his life. So you and I, who are fully and wholly and completely guilty, may go free instead. Looking to the love of Jesus and not your capacity to love others. That is the heart of moving from merely serving to loving those who you are serving, especially those who are difficult to love. And how we do this, Jesus, he he makes it clear for us. There was a day when Peter was, uh, one of his followers was trying to impress Jesus by saying that he would forgive his brother seven times. If his brother did something wrong, he would, seven times in a row, he would, he would forgive him for doing that offense. Now, to understand what, why he chose seven, seven in the Old Testament uh, literature, that was the number of completion. That was the wholeness of it, right? God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested, right? So that's the end of it. If you can forgive somebody seven times, you've like, you've done it. You've completed it. What does Jesus say to him? Not seven times, but 70 times seven, which would realistically, it's not looking at, you know, 490 or anything like that. It's looking at an infinite amount. The completion of completions of completions just keep going. You always forgive. You always forgive. And he gives this account afterwards. He tells this story that we read um, in Matthew 18. And let's go through it here. It says this, For the king, this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, which is like $6 billion today, now, I need to pause right there because when I was reading through this and doing the math on this, I was like, who has $6 billion to loan somebody? Who has that amount of money? But here he is. He's got $6 billion equivalent to that he had loaned. Sorry. And he, so he was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Here's what we can start to take from this. That God is holy. That God is just. That while he is love, love doesn't just ignore sin. Love doesn't just sweep it under the rug like it isn't there. It must be pardoned. It must be paid in full. It must be accounted for in some way. Let's continue. At this, the servant fell face downward before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay everything. And then the master of of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, roughly $12,000. 
He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. And at this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported it to their master, everything that had happened. Then, after he summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So, also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Hmm. To love someone the way Jesus loves you is rooted in remembering specifically how Jesus is loving you right now. Let me say that again. To love someone the way Jesus loves you is rooted in remembering, remembering specifically how Jesus is loving you right now. Tim Keller he posted an image uh, a little while ago on social media reminding us that our feeling perspective limits sometimes what true reality is. And you can see it on the graphic there. The top white line, horizontal line there that goes there, that's kind of our perspective on whether we bad or we loved. We think we're somewhat bad and somewhat loved. But the yellow line is reality. And what we need to remember is this, that we are way worse than we really think we are, but we're also way more loved than we realize. We think like this, but the reality is so much bigger. I didn't really think about the line of the one song that we are singing today about how your love is... It's like the horizon, stretches like the horizon, is wider than the horizon. And then think about it when I, when I drew up this graphic to put up here. Wider than the horizon is his love for us. It covers it all. How we approach, this isn't an are they worthy thing or do they deserve my love? We don't approach people with the love that we need to give them in that way. We don't approach them in a way that says, do I feel charitable today? Do I feel like being nice and kind? Or do I feel loving towards people today? Again, for Jesus, the heart of how we do this is rooted in us looking afresh at Jesus and what he has done for us. And we do that as long as it takes for it to once again sink in that right now I am free, but by the grace of God, plus nothing else. Nothing else added than the grace of God has set you free. What does it look like to love like this? 
It is this. It is renouncing the lie that says, I am rejected and unloved by Jesus. It's renouncing that. There's some of you here today where you feel that you are rejected by God or there's a part of you that is rejected by him, that you are unloved by him, and that's a lie you're believing that is not true. It's about affirming the truth that says, in Christ, I am accepted. There's another lie that some, we say that we need to renounce, and it's renouncing the lie that says, I am alone. I am abandoned by God. Sometimes we feel completely alone. Where's God in the midst of this? How is God helping me or, or being there for me in the midst of this? And you feel abandoned by God, and the enemy comes in and lies to you and says, you are alone. God isn't with you in this. And it's about affirming the truth, which says, in Christ, I am secure. I'm not abandoned. I'm secure in him. And it's only when we draw on how God is loving us with a love that we don't deserve, but has been graciously bestowed upon us through no merit of our own, can we then love others the way Jesus commands us to love one another. The mistake is, again, looking to your own capacity as your source of strength to love others. And we correct it by looking to the completeness of how Christ loves us. Now, John, he would repeat this a lot in his his, his talks. Um, John would, would go on. He caught this message by Jesus. He he internalized this message from Jesus. And we can read it again and again in, in uh, his testaments of, of what God is for us and to us and through us. In First John, John 3.16, we read this, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In 1 John 4, 7, we see, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And in 1 John 4, 10 and 12, we said, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Think about that. Why does he add that in there at the end? No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen him. Like God, the, the Father, uh, if we look in Old Testament scriptures, it always talks about him being invisible and him being uh, a presence and, a, and a, a person that we cannot put our eyes on because we could not handle it. And he says, no one has ever seen God. And then he goes, if we love one another, God abides in us. He adds that in there to say, we're not going to see God the manifest presence of God in some surreal way. But when we love one another, 
God's presence abides in us, and his love is perfected. And that's not a perfect, like, 10 out of 10 love. That's a completion love. That's the number seven love, the 70 times seven love that, that we talked about earlier. His love is completed in us. When we only love in our own capacity, we want God to be seen through power. Think about it. We want God to be seen through power. We want those power encounters to be the way that God shows his love. We want it to be uh, the, the miracles, and we want it to be the demonstrations that God is, is real and active. We want those things to be the things that show God loves. See, God loves. Why? Because he does the miracles. He does all these things. That shows that God loves and why do we want to do that? Because we're trying to love in our own capacity. Because in our own capacity, we try to do things in order to show love. When we only love in our own capacity, we want God to be seen through passion. Where it's how loud we sing and how high our arms are raised and how loud our voices get. And we say, there's where our love for God resides. Now, neither of those things are bad. Seeing the, the, the presence of God move and seeing him move in the supernatural is amazing. And our response to God in passion and in, 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 uh, in, in our voice and in, in how we act is, is awesome. But if that's the extent of what love looks like, then we're trying to love in our own capacity. We need a love that goes beyond that. This passage tell us, tells us, again, if we love one another, God abides in us. His presence is seen not through those supernatural works, not by the amount of passion that we display, but by our love. He is perfected, matured, completed, fulfilled. His love is all those things in us. Because here's the thing. Jesus was often seen as weak, wasn't he? The culture around him saw him as weak, not as strong. Jesus was often seen as lacking the charisma needed to confront Israel's enemies, wasn't he? Who is this backwater preacher who speaks in parables and says all these things? How is he going to overthrow Rome? How is he going to bring Israel back to the position it's supposed to be in? How is he supposed to make the world right when he talks in riddles and sleeps under the stars and has a ragtag bunch of people following him? He doesn't have what's needed to be the Messiah of Israel. He was weak. He was lacking what is needed. But one thing you could never accuse Jesus of having was a lack of love. You could never accuse him of that. When you saw what he did and how he lived, who he met with, who he would embrace, who he would accept, Jesus was never short on love. If you are struggling to love someone, maybe you've lost sight of how God, through Christ, loves you. 
maybe in the brokenness of life, in all the things that have happened to you, your ability to filter love and receive love and then give love has been so warped through the things of this world that it's complicated your ability to say, okay, I understand this God thing. God loves me and he's, he saved me and he died on the cross for me. I understand all that. And now I'm supposed to treat others this way, but then it just breaks down there because allowing the presence of God and who he is to just wash over you and to feel his acceptance in spite of your brokenness. More than just in spite of your brokenness, because of your brokenness, his love washes over you because it's so necessary for him to be in relationship with you. Maybe it's been too hard. Maybe you're here this morning and that's kind of where you are. You've lost sight of that. A couple things that we can do this. The first thing, and this is a practical step, is write a list of who is hard for you to love. Write a list of the people that just, you know, they, they push you deeper into God's grace, don't they? They just, they just have a knack and a way of... of um, emphasizing your discipleship in Jesus and the call to follow him. Write down their names. And write a list, again, a second list, of how Jesus loved you. Not just how he loved you, but how he is loving you. And not just how he is loving you, but how he will eternally love you. Use that second list to then reflect on the first list and then how you can potentially change some of those relationships. And you can allow the presence of God's love in your life to wash over you and into those relationships with others. We stop sourcing our love for others in our capacity. Like I said, for some, this is the biggest step today, is right there, to, is to accept the love of God, either in a new way or again. It's re- renouncing those lies of rejection and abandonment. It's rejecting the lies of needing to earn love, deserve love, pay back for love. And it's rejecting those things, and instead, it's abiding in the ocean deep love of God and letting his perfect love step by step be perfected and completed in you. We move from serving to loving others when we replace our capacity to love with the overwhelming, never-ending, precious love of God. Today we're going to pray to close, and then uh, the band's going to, the worship team's going to lead us in one more song. And the song at the end is just intentionally geared for us to do that, to stop and abide in the love of God. And for us to allow that moment of God saying, I love you just the way you are, with all that you've brought to the table the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love you.
And I want you to rest in my love so my love can flow through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how much you love us. And God, we do right now, we just renounce those lies that we've believed. We renounce the lie of abandonment, God. We renounce the lie of rejection, that you would ever abandon us, that you would ever reject us. We renounce those lies, God. And instead, we affirm and accept that you have accepted us, that you have given us security in you, Jesus. We reject the lies of needing to earn love, to needing to deserve love, or to pay you back for love. We reject those lies. And instead, God, we just freely accept your love and love you back. God, I pray for all those that are wounded today, whether they've been hurt by others, sometimes even in this room, in what love is supposed to look like. God, may we have a heart to forgive 70 times 7, to look over the offenses and the hurts and injustices, not to sweep them under the rug, not to, to not account for them or to bring reconciliation, but to not let offense set in and bring seeds of division and seeds of, of disunity, but instead let it drive us to your love who being betrayed and broken and, and hurt and, and all those things, you still loved us. And we thank you for that. May our response to you in worship today just open our hearts to you, to your love, and allow it to flow into us and through us to those we serve. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.